This is Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Each month, we interview experts in the field, discuss the data, and explore all facets of the housing market. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or a seasoned real estate professional, you will benefit from our insightful conversations and gain property intelligence as we discover more about the key issues shaping our industry. Now here's our host, Jason Mercer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. The province of Ontario recently announced that the much-anticipated regulations for the second phase of the Trust and Real Estate Services Act, or TRESA, is coming into force on December 1st, 2023. TRESA is the biggest change to Ontario real estate from a legal perspective in over 20 years, and it impacts the day-to-day business of realtors. To discuss what's in store with TRESA Phase 2 rollout, I'm joined today by Mark Weisletter, Senior Partner and Notary Public at realestatelawyers.ca LLP. Mark is a highly sought after real estate lawyer, having spoken to real estate associations, boards, and brokerages across Canada, including TREB. He has made numerous media appearances and has written three best selling industry books for real estate professionals, buyers, sellers, and landlords. I'd like to welcome Mark to the podcast. Mark, I'm very excited to have you with us today to chat about the next phase of TRESA. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Well, let's jump right in. And, and to start things off, I'd like to discuss the, the significance of TRESA phase two from your perspective. How is this going to impact Ontario realtors and how they do business moving forward? Well, there's a lot of changes, as you know. But to me, the key changes on a day-to-day basis would be, number one, the definition of a customer has been removed from the old uh, Real uh, Real Estate and Business Brokers Act. And instead, a new uh, prospect, so to speak, has a decision to make. They can either become a client or they are representing themselves. And I believe that this is long overdue because the definition of a customer always left it open as to what duties were owed to that customer if they chose not to become a client. So I think this is a a terrific change for the benefit of everyone. And the second would be, I, I would imagine, the way that bidding wars are conducted. Because I think one of the major changes now is that in a bidding war, a seller can decide that their agent can share information about an offer with the other bidders, which means they might share the price or the closing dates or other matters with other bidders. And and that today is not permitted. So I think those will probably have the major impacts on the way realtors conduct their business. Yeah, I think those are two really important points, and and I'm going to unpack them in turn with you as as we move through uh, our time together today. Um, One other thing I wanted to touch on before we we go down that road, or those two roads, is in addition to announcing the implementation date for Phase 2, the Ministry also filed regulations to permit designated representation agreements with Ontario real estate brokerages. Can you expand upon multiple representation and and how that's going to impact consumers during their transaction process? Thank you. Uh, This is an important change as well. As you know, today, 
a brokerage can act for both a buyer and a seller, typically with one agent representing the buyer, one agent representing the seller, under a concept of multiple representation. But inherent in multiple representation is that there are certain things you cannot do when you're on both sides of a transaction. In other words, you can't give advice about price that you might want somebody to give or accept. And you also cannot disclose if you know anything about the other side, such as their motivation for entering into a transaction. So you're allowed to represent them as a client, but you see there are some restrictions to that. With this concept of designated agency, a brokerage would actually be able to designate one agent to represent only the seller and one to represent only the buyer. So as an example, just let's say in the legal profession, if a buyer and seller each call me and ask me to be their lawyer under the law society, I'm not allowed to act for either, for both in the same transaction. However, it is possible for me to say, look, I can act for the buyer. And so it will be similar for a brokerage. They can designate one person to only represent the seller, meaning there's no restrictions on the representation and one agent to represent the buyer. Again, no restrictions. And you treat each other as if you were agents in different brokerages. And so this would, this would uh, conceivably even permit two agents on the same team from representing both a buyer and a seller as long as the brokerage has policies in place to make sure that everything is kept separate. That's very interesting, and and you know I hadn't thought of the 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 team side of things, so that's an that's an additional nuance that we'll have to you know think about and see how that unfolds uh, moving forward. Um, there, there's also uh, a code of ethics uh, uh, regulation involved in this, and and so what are some of the changes that we can expect from the new realtor code of ethics under Tressa? Thank you. There were a lot of provisions in the code of ethics that was that is in effect today, which frankly, in my opinion didn't belong there. They belonged in the greater regulation. And the new code of ethics, I think, is what it's supposed to have always been. And I can sum up the new code of ethics with two words, act professionally. In other words, be a professional in everything you do, meaning don't mislead anybody, protect everyone's best interests, uh, don't communicate with someone else's client, and just act the way you would want to be treated. And to me, uh, this is not about, you know, complying with RICO, so to speak. It's doing the things you do that build you referrals. And I've always believed that if an agent is uh, acting as a professional in everything they do, explaining everything, getting everything initialed, getting all instructions in writing, for example, not only will they, of course, stay out of trouble with RICO, but they will also build a successful base of satisfied customers that generates repeat business and referrals. 
Now, thinking about the the, the whole notion of a code of ethics, and and, and you mentioned Rico. Um, there, there's also, uh, um, you know, Tressa also contemplates the RICO Discipline Committee and, and, and its composition and, and, and procedures. And so, I mean, that's a nice segue in, in terms of, you know, discussing the new legislative and, and regulatory standards enacted by Tressa uh, and, and also the scope of RICO's Discipline Committee and how that may expand moving forward. And the the, the RICO Discipline Committee is now going to have the ability to suspend, to revoke, or apply conditions, um, you know, to a to a registrant. Can you share your thoughts on on these changes and and how does that relate back to the Code of Ethics and what have you? Well, thank you. You know, it's always been the case that for most consumers out there, this is the largest transaction of their lives buying or selling a home. And uh, it takes someone with a lot of knowledge and experience to be able to properly represent them. And so to me, uh, as I said earlier, when you're a professional in everything you do and detailed and write down instructions, then you will give that kind of experience. But if you're not, and your clients suffer, because you're not properly prepared and careful. I believe that the real estate council should have more authority to discipline and uh, in some cases suspend or even revoke a license from someone who should not be doing this. Every professional body has this. As a lawyer, I'm subject to the law society, you know, making sure that I'm always complying. And I think realtors, should welcome this increased power so that it makes sure that, you know, the people in the business are acting always in the best interests of their clients. Now, thinking about that and maybe taking a little bit further, my understanding is that, is that RICO's disciplinary committee, um, you know, under Tressa, its mandate is going to expand in the sense that it, it's going to be able to investigate a realtor's conduct and, and refer the matter to uh, or for discipline, whether or not a formal complaint is made. So what are your thoughts on that? Because that, that seems like, a, uh, you know, quite a change from, you know, more of a complaint-based uh, structure to something where it could be almost a two-way street. I think... For me personally, it highlights the importance of social media and understanding the impact of negative social media and what it can have on your reputation as a realtor, etc. Some people may say, oh, somebody makes a complaint about me. They throw it online or they put it on Facebook. What do I care? Well, now people can monitor anything. And if it looks like that complaint perhaps is indicative of a maybe a common problem, then all of a sudden the people at the real estate council could say, you know, maybe we need to be investigating this agent, this brokerage. Why is are these complaints being generated in the first place? So I think that, uh, you know, I think it's a proper thing. Now, I also believe and know from the history of the way the real estate council proceeds, they're not going to take this power cavalierly and just decide to go in. There's going to have to be a basis in any of it for, for them to go in and check uh, or decide to bring proceedings against somebody. One tweet, for example, is not going to be enough to do that. But I think you have to you know, be aware of this. You know, like when, when people say, uh, I always say, check, 
social media because people will check you out on Google before hiring you. They're going to look for negative comments, and this will affect your ability to get listings and to get into agreements with people in the first place. So I think besides giving the proper service every time, you should care about what is said about you on social media. You know, it's it's an interesting point. You mentioned the, I guess, the threshold for Rico becoming proactively involved in a in a perceived issue. Um, does Tressa lay out any kind of um, guidelines on 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 what the convention ought to be before Rico would get involved? Because it's a good point you made. Like, you know, one tweet tweet doesn't necessarily point to an issue. It it could just you know be the result of a disagreement or what have you, but doesn't really point to any you know code of ethics or or what have you. But but you know a number would or or different channels of communication might. And so, there, is there any guidance in that regard? Or is there going to be kind of a a feeling out period? I guess I think there has to be a period where there's a feeling out. And and the way I know how the regulator has acted in the past 20 years, they have been, in my opinion, very uh, fair and proactive anyways in what they're doing. They have wider powers now, but I don't believe that that just means that it's going to lead to, you know, a whole series of investigations, really, that don't have a solid base to begin with. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about the code of ethics. We've talked about, um, you know, uh, uh, I guess an expanded uh, mandate that RICO will have with regard to to enforcing that that code of ethics. I want to turn to the marketplace now, because certainly these new regulations associated with Tressa, um, you know, represent a bit of a change in, in, in how that that home transaction, how that property transaction um, could could unfold. And I guess the first thing I want to turn to, because it, 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 it's very much uh, a, a new concept with, within our marketplace is this uh, concept of, a, of an open offer process uh, where, where sellers uh, have another option to negotiate the sale of their property. Um, how, how will the open offer process work under Tressa and, and what changes are coming that both buyers and sellers need to be aware of? I think the way it is today, as you know, the seller can just say, I'm going to accept offers and people put in offers and people refer to this as almost blind bidding that you make an offer and you know nothing about any of the other offers and the seller uh, can consider them. The seller can sign them back and uh, then the successful buyer finds out whether they win or lose right. under the new rules. The same situation could still apply. So we're not changing exactly. However, the seller is given another option here that during the bidding process, they can also instruct their agent to disclose or share one element or more of an offer with the other agents. So example, price. So the seller during the bidding work can say, you know what, I want all the other bidders to know what the highest offer is and let them have a chance to bid again. So that will be completely permissible for a seller to do that. And as a result of that, buyers who are going into that situation will have to sign likely something in advance that says, when I make my offer, I understand that the contents might be shared with other buyers. Now, you will not be able to share the identity 
of the buyer. So that will always stay confidential, but the price may uh, be disclosed. So buyers will go in knowing the rules and sellers will have that option, but some sellers may still decide they want to do it the way it's done today. I think there's really you know, two sort of key concepts that I guess I want to unpack further or sort of reconfirm, I guess, for those people that are listening. Number one, the open offer process um, is an offer, but it's at the option of the seller. That's correct. Um, and, and, and so then, you know, the, the seller can choose whether or not they want to do that versus the buyer saying, I want access to all of this information. Very good. That's correct. The buyer cannot demand this. It's the seller that decides either I'm sharing or I'm not sure. And even, and this, this is just to sort of confirm or, or, or reinforce again, even if the seller chooses an open offer process, they still have controls in terms of what's open. And so they could, for example, be saying, look, at, I'm willing to share, um, you know, what some of the conditions on the offers are, whether they're clean, whether there's an inspection, whether there's financing, but maybe I don't share the price or maybe I share the price and conditions or or, or something else. It's all at the uh, uh, option of the of the seller. That's, that's very, uh, that's correct. In other words, the seller can decide to share, for example, this offer has no conditions. This offer has a closing date of three weeks, which of course would be more advantageous to a closing date in two months. Right. So they may they may share those items as well as the price or just on their own. You know, it's up to the seller to decide. And if you're an agent, of course, you're going to make sure that all those instructions are in writing and clear so that you have a record of everything during the process. Because we all know that it's extremely stressful in a bidding war. Uh, when it's happening. Yeah, so I think, you know, those are those are two, you know, very key points. But nonetheless, I mean, this is this is certainly a, a big change relative to the to the regime uh, that we're working under right now in the in the Ontario uh, marketplace. I, I think another key concept, and you mentioned it at the at the outset, um, is this uh, uh, removal of the of the concept of the customer um, in favor of two new terms, uh, either the client or a self-represented party. And, and my understanding is that a, a self-represented party is, is simply a party who is not a client of any brokerage. Uh, why, I guess, number one, why do you think the government is introducing um, this, this new designation, the, the self-represented party or SRP, um, it, which effectively eliminates the customer relationship? And is this ultimately better for, for consumers? I think it, it is better for everyone in the industry. I mean, it's very clear from everything in the regulation. If you're a client, you're owed all the proper duties of a real estate salesperson. However, you can decide what level of services you actually want. And the, the commission or uh, remuneration, you're going to pay. But it's all based on your being a client. And however, if you don't want to be a client, then you're on your own. And it's compared to going to court without a lawyer. Like I've said earlier, this is the largest transactions of somebody's life. They should not be doing this on their own. And so there's warnings all through the material that will be given out saying that you must understand what it means to be on your own. And uh, 
nothing is confidential, for example. So that self-represented person walking into an open house has to know that anything they say is going right to the seller because that agent is not there for the self-represented person. They're there for the seller. And so uh, in my own experience, people who've tried to do real estate deals by themselves over the years have always suffered. The agreements are typically not prepared properly. They're void almost right away because they are signed after the expiry dates and they have to always be fixed. The banks are very suspicious of these private agreements. And so I think people are going to learn that, you know, there is a benefit to trusting the largest decision of your life with someone who's a professional. But if you don't, you can do this on your own. But even the agent there will say to the person, you should go to a lawyer or another agent to help you. I can't help you, but maybe somebody else can. And is that going to be spelt out like under the regulation? Um, you know, if I'm a if I'm a realtor and I'm running an open house um, and, and someone walks in and they say, you know, or indicate that they're a self-represented party, is there almost going to be sort of a, a checklist that that realtor will want to go through just to make sure that, you know, they've explained the situation and, and sort of covered themselves? Well, the good news is that the government has a re real estate council. They've prepared and we'll be releasing a video that explains all of this. It's, it's called an information guide for people. And so if any prospect contacts a realtor, let's say, and they want to meet, the realtor will immediately send this video to the client saying that when we meet, I'm going to review this with you to, to this, determine what kind of representation you want. And so that guide, which is written, by the way, in very plain English. I've seen some drafts and it's really well written. It really explains to someone what it means to have a relationship with an agent or to be on their own. And so to your question, if somebody just wandered into an open house, they might not have the ability to see that video. The realtor will have that information guide which they will give to the person and ask them to read it. They'll explain the key concepts. And if the person, after reading that, decides to go on their own, well, they at least it was explained and given to them at the time. And I think that's important. I mean, it sounds like neither, you know, the realtor nor the potential self-represented party is kind of being left to their own devices to figure this out. It sounds like there'll at least be some uh, uh, baseline of information that, that 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 people ought to go through. And I think, you know, that's important. And it, it kind of segues nicely, I think, to the last thing I wanted to discuss with you today is that, you know, once, once that sort of relationship is in place and once we're talking about, you know, listing a home for sale or once we're talking about making an offer um, on an existing uh, uh, listing, uh, uh, Tressa is also implementing some changes uh, to the contents of written agreements and, and, and outlines new requirements for disclosures and what have you. What are some of the new rules surrounding disclosures under uh, Tressa? Well, just from a overarching view of disclosure, uh, one of the complaints that have been made over the years against uh, realtors is that the seller didn't disclose problems with the house. And my realtor didn't protect me. And so one of the major changes is that if a listing agent does know about a major, for example, hidden defect that you couldn't find in a home inspection, 
that listing realtor now has to disclose that to any buyer or any buyer agent. So that's a positive improvement on you know, disclosure, but still it doesn't take away from a buyer agent's you know, responsibility to make sure that a buyer is protected with proper home inspection, et cetera, and proper clauses to put in the agreement. Many buyers, for example, may be nervous about murders and suicides. And so the buyer agent should be putting clauses in to protect them, to satisfy those concerns. So that's overarching disclosure. And then as to the contents of the agreement, you know, if you look at the complaints that agents, that consumers have made over the years about realtors and these agreements. Many of them say they're too complicated. They're not written in plain English. The person promised to do this. They're not doing this. I thought I was signing a, a buyer agreement for one day. I put in an offer and then I find out that I'm stuck with this agent for six months. So now it's going to be very clear. And, you know, it's what do you want me to do for you? And this is my remuneration if I do what I say I'm going to do. So as a listing agent, you know, you're going to put in, if you're going to uh, be doing certain kind of marketing, if you're going to be staging or doing video tours, everything you promise to do in exchange for that listing, you're going to put it on. Same with a buyer. I'm going to try to send you links every day. I'm going to give you a summary of market activity. We'll try to do X number of showings a week. This will all be included in the services you want to provide. And to me, this actually will give a realtor a better opportunity to distinguish themselves in the marketplace. You know, these are the services I provide. This is why you should be using me. And so uh, it it solves a, a number of things. It makes it clear to the consumer, this is what you're doing for me. This is how much I'm going to pay you in commission. This is how long the agreement goes for because you will be initialing the term, the expiry date. And this is what the holdover means. You know, a lot of people don't understand right. that. But we're going to explain all that so that the key things are explained. And then it's the same thing for a buyer. And then when it comes to compensation, it's going to be clear. This is what I get paid. You know, there may be a situation where a seller is self-represented. They don't want to pay me anything. So, But I'm doing all the work. I'm showing the property to you. So... If that's the situation, then the the compensation has to come from you. And so to me, this is all good. It makes it very clear, the services and the compensation. And this has been the source of so much confusion over the years. I, I only see this as positive for the industry and for the consumers out there. Yeah, I think, you know, again, really important point in the sense that, you know, there's 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 a ton of different models out there in, in, in the real estate space today, a ton of different business models. Um, and, and so it's important for people to understand, you know, what you're getting from brokerage A, realtor A versus brokerage B and, and, and realtor B. And it sounds like, you know, this is going to be an opportunity for that to be um, easily understood uh, by a potential uh, uh, listing uh, household or, or someone who's looking to buy. That's correct. That's a good way to put it. Uh, Define your service. How do you want to get paid for it and have everyone agree? And to me, it makes the whole process simpler for people to understand. 
Well, Mark, I think that's a good point to, to end off on. No doubt you're going to be talking a lot about uh, Tressa and the phase two of the regulations in the in the weeks and, and months ahead. Uh, but we certainly covered a lot today in, in a short period of time, and I'm sure everyone will you know, enjoy listening to our conversation. So I want to thank you very much for sharing your insights on Tressa phase two. I'm sure you'll be, uh, again, pretty busy explaining all the nuances as we move forward. So thanks again. Thank you very much, Jason. It was really a pleasure to speak with you today. And make sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Trev's Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you again next time. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, trev.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B dot C-A to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate. Thanks for tuning in.